Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Be sure to visit robertjmorgan.com where you'll find Rob's blog posts, podcast feed, bookstore, free resources, and more. If you've not already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review. Now here's your host, Robert J. Morgan. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast for today. We have a very special episode. I've got a friend that I've been wanting to talk to for a long time. Her name is Sally Wilson Pereira, and her father, T.W. Wilson, who I met on one occasion, was the high school friend and the lifelong associate of Billy Graham. And Sally grew up in the shadow of Billy and Ruth Graham. Uh, She was really taken in as one of the families. She talks about Uncle Billy and Aunt Ruth all the time. And so there are some stories that she knows that other people may not or insights that she has that other people may not have. And this is one of the greatest uh, stories in all of Christian history was how uh, God used Billy Graham. And most people don't know Sally that one of his favorite foods, we'll start with this, one of his favorite foods, if you can believe it, was what did he like? He liked Sonic corn dogs. (laughs) (laughs) And he also loved home cooking, like squash and corn on the cob. And oh, his favorite homemade ice cream, every time we'd make some banana ice cream, daddy would take a tray out just for Uncle Billy and run it up the mountain. And, oh, he loved that. <clears throat> now, you know how much I love uh, Ruth yeah. and uh, think that everything about her is perfect. But mm-hmm. really, you were telling us that maybe her cooking skills were were not the best, and sometimes Billy needed something to eat. Well, um, there's just so much Chinese food you can eat, and— I'm sure she mastered some things that I don't know about, but uh, she grew up in China, and um, she did cook a lot of Chinese food. And uh, he, oh, he, one of his favorite things also, when we would pick, Mother and I would drive down to Charlotte sometimes to pick them up at the airport, we always had to stop in Shelby at Bridges Barbecue. And... In fact, they they uh, also served it at the Billy Graham Library Cafe for a while. I think they've stopped that. And they also served Mother Graham's pound cake recipe there. He loved her cakes. And there was, but there was once um, when Ruth's cooking got you through a serious illness. Oh. She made the best sukiyaki. She called it skiyaki from Japan. And I had had a close call, uh, almost died. And they tried to find something that I wanted to eat. And nothing appealed to me. And one day I thought about Aunt Ruth's sukiyaki. I said, Mother. I think I could eat some sukiyaki, and Aunt Ruth made a big pot of it and sent it down to the house, and Mother doled it out of over 
two or three days. That's all I ate. It just, it really nourished me and was wonderful. And while I was in the hospital that time, before I could tolerate the sukiyaki, Dr. Bell would bring almost every day from, this was Aunt Ruth's daddy, who was a medical doctor, but he was the shortest, fastest visitor. He would bring some egg custard that Mrs. Bell had made, and they'd let him bring it in to the hospital, and I could get that down. And he'd say, here's your egg custard from Ms. Bell, and I got a word from the Lord. He'd say and pray real fast, and he'd be gone before I realized he was there. But he was the best hospital visitor I ever had. (laughs) I want to begin back at the beginning. Your dad, T.W. Wilson, and his brother, Grady, uh, I met your dad on one occasion, uh, but they were in high school with Billy. And Papa Graham, as Daddy Graham, as you call him, had been praying for revival in Charlotte, North Carolina, with some other people. Will you, will you tell that story and how the Lord brought Mordecai Ham, the evangelist, to Charlotte and the crusade in which Dr. Graham was saved? And <clears throat> I guess it had a big impact on, on your dad, although you think he was a believer before the Mordecai Ham crusades. But talk about the, the groundswell of prayer that went into the longing for revival that those people had. Well, it was amazing because these were five laymen. My granddaddy Wilson was a plumber. Daddy Graham was a dairy farmer. Uh, I'm not sure what Mr. Patterson did. There were five men who cared enough they would go to Daddy Graham's cow pasture and kneel and beg God to just pour out his Holy Spirit on Charlotte and raise up somebody who would take the gospel around the world, never knowing it would be their sons. And there were a a number of young preacher boys who really came out of that prayer meeting and that uh, revival. And while the men were praying, the women would get together. My, I know my grandmother Wilson and Mother Graham would get together and some of the other wives, and they would be praying. <clears throat> so that's, you know, I know that Uncle Billy always said the most important things about his ministry, his crusades, is pray, pray, pray. He said that's more important than any organization, any uh, method or, you know, entertainment. It's prayer. And during that, so Mordecai Ham came to have a a crusade in, in Charlotte. And I guess in high school, Billy attended um, and sat in the choir, of all things. Now, tell me why he, why he was in, why he sat in the crusade choir. Well, Daddy always said it was so he could get a close look at those pretty girls in the choir. And he didn't want, he wanted to be behind the preacher, not be pointed at by the preacher. But uh, God really got hold of a lot of young men, especially, 
who just felt the call of God on their lives to go around the world preaching the gospel. And, you know, never think that because you're a lay person, your prayers are not powerful because that's what really um, established that revival. So your father, T.W., and Grady uh, became evangelist. Dr. Graham became an evangelist, but they were all doing their own thing until 1949 in Los Angeles when that famous campaign took place with, with Billy Graham that catapulted him instantly into fame, and he frantically called your dad. Now, tell us about that. Well, he actually sent a telegram. We lived in Dothan, Alabama, and he's, they wanted to extend the meeting, and he wrote Daddy and said, come to Los Angeles and bring every sermon you've ever had. I need help. I've run out of sermons. And I think he asked Uncle Grady and some others, but Daddy took off to California with a bag full of sermons. He said, uh, and Daddy, the whole time they worked together in ministry, because Daddy was having wonderful um, meetings on his own through the years. Um, But he said, you know, Billy kept after me and after me and after me to come with him full time. And he said, T.W., what is your purpose in evangelism? Daddy said, to win as many people to the Lord as I can. He said, well, could you imagine preaching maybe once to a big crowd rather than many times to smaller crowds? And know that you had a part in that. And he finally convinced Daddy to um, come help him. He said, you can extend my strength, my ministry. And it can't be just an aide. It has to be an evangelist with a heart to lead people to Jesus. And um, so Daddy said, the way he explained it to my brother and me, we were kind of upset. We thought he was given up on his calling daddy said i don't care who gets the credit my goal is to reach as many people with jesus christ as i can and daddy was not only a great preacher but he was a great soul winner and um also uncle billy you know, he he got drained sometimes. You know, he'd get up and preach, and he needed somebody to preach to him. And sometimes he would call Daddy. They traveled just about everywhere together. And he'd say, I need my preacher. And Daddy would go in with, read some scripture to him and pray for him and with him and try to encourage him to keep going because um, through the years, they talked about when God did a mighty work in a meeting. Afterwards, the devil would come in and try to steal their joy and their uh, positive outlook and and battle depression. And uh, that's when Satan can really get to you. 
and it's it's nothing they take credit for but satan is very sneaky and he has ways of destroying our confidence and our spirit and they kind of shored each other up you know because uh, many people don't know that dr graham could get very depressed very discouraged uh his wife uh, ruth would call him did you say eeyore sometimes sometimes eeyore she and daddy would team up on him and they'd say i shouldn't wonder and she'd call him eeyore but that would snap him out he it it was just funny because he's such a great man of God, but he he was a human being. It's just like the prophets. Who was it? Elijah, who was under the juniper tree, and he was running from Jezebel. And the angel said, you know, rise and eat. The journey is too great for thee. And sometimes you just need to rest and eat and be ministered to. And sometimes when Billy was hungry at lunch, she would come walk because your your family moved into Montreat, and Ruth had built the cabin up on the hill to be near her parents, the Bells. So sometimes Billy would walk down that long, you know, curvy, steep road, and uh, and need something, need a little fellowship as well as something to eat, huh? He would usually time it around lunchtime. And he'd holler through the garage door, Mary Helen, what you cooking for lunch today? (laughs) And she'd say, corn on the cob and cornbread and, you know, black-eyed peas and some hamburger steaks or something, or okra. And she said, T, I'll be here in a minute. You want to stay? And he said, well, if you're sure you have enough. So uh, he would... Invite himself in sometimes to eat home cooking. And you grew up with the with the Graham children. You were like a, a, a well, just part of the family, really. Uh, what was I, I just can't imagine what that was uh, what that was like and the uh, the publicity around everything and the people coming and the visitors and the guests and uh, the worldwide attention and the reporters and and just say a word about. The environment what was was it a normal functioning household? Uh, would it be just like in a way our house uh, or what was it like inside the behind the doors there? Yes, it was they're very normal and uh, the reason they moved up on the mountain, they didn't want to move because they were across the street from their grandparents from Aunt Ruth's mother and daddy. And they had it made. They loved going across the street, seeing the grandparents. And then as the family grew, they got the old house next door to their house and turned it into an office because the old house that the Grahams lived in is very unassuming. Uh, It's quaint, it's cozy, but it's very unassuming. And... um, Once or twice, Aunt Ruth was sitting up sick in bed reading, and she felt like she was being watched. And 
looked out and people were staring in the window at her in her bedroom. She said, it's it's time for us to move. I don't want to. All the kids were born while they were living there. And then they moved up on the mountain and the youngest, Ned, was born after they moved up there. And they had to have a gate. Uh, people just wanted to get to them and um, bad people wanted to get to them, too. And uh, there were threats. And uh, it's amazing, too, at the Crusades, my daddy quit telling Uncle Billy about the threats because he said he's going to be focused on those and not be able to preach. I mean, they caught people at the bottom of the platform steps with weapons. And uh, also, they one reason somebody always traveled with Uncle Billy, uh, they tried to get pictures of him with in compromising uh, situations. And they had the um, Modesto Manifesto. My Uncle Grady and Cliff Barras and Uncle Billy, they just determined right then that they were not going to get in the traps that a lot of evangelists get in. And one thing, they would never ride in a car alone or have a meal alone with a woman who was not their wife. And um, they were very careful with money and with women and <clears throat> In later years, there was always a room across from Uncle Billy's in a motel with an open door and a security guard would be sitting on the end of the bed watching that door all the time. And when uh, they traveled, Daddy would get room service delivered to his room and he would have an adjoining door to Uncle Billy's room and so he could never be open a door and see some woman trying to get a picture with him or something. I would encourage everybody to read uh, some of the biographies of Dr. Graham or his autobiography to learn about the Modesto Manifesto. Cliff Barrows was from Modesto and so they gathered at, at Cliff's father's farm and made the agreements uh, that that ethically kept them people of integrity. Um, but as long as we're talking about threats and security, I know I had a um, bad adventure once with a dog on the Graham property. Um, I was nearly eaten. In fact, as you drive up, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a sign that says, trespassers will be eaten. But you had a, a couple of run-ins with, uh, with Graham dogs. Yeah, they... They had the one St. Bernard, you know, they all seem picturesque and friendly, but they had the one in a million who was not. And uh, they had a dammed up creek, a swimming hole that they turned into a rough pool. And my cousins and friends and I were swimming down there one day and I looked up and right at my cousin's feet on the diving board, he was lying down, was Heidi. And she was licking her chops 
and he just slithered off into the pool. And it gave the rest of us time to get up the nearest tree. And I began to holler for help. And I heard Aunt Ruth, it was down below their house. And I heard her say, who's there? And I said, it's Sally. She said, where are you? I said, we're all up in trees. Heidi's got us treed. She got after us in the pool. And she laughed. And I told her later, I said, oh, my goodness, you nearly lost me as a friend for life. She said, "Okay, I'll send Mr. Rickman down. And he came down and hauled Heidi back up to the house. But she had a great sense of humor. She really did. And she she had little signs like that. One of my favorite things, my favorite room in their house was their kitchen. And one of my favorite things was a little sign, oh, maybe three and a half by five, in the kitchen window. And it said, pray and praise and peg away. And that was sort of her motto. She was a woman of prayer. She was very joyful. She was a student of the word. And she was a great encouragement to her husband. When he'd come home just drained and tired, she had been feeding on God's word, and she could bolster him. They were a great team, and she used humor a lot. Tell, tell us how she used cigarette paper. Oh, my goodness. I didn't know there was such a thing. And she she had a wide-margin Bible she'd study the Bible with, and she'd get those little packs of paper that people roll tobacco in, and she would get a piece of the cigarette paper and lick it and put it with her thumb, get it wet enough, it would stick in her Bible. And she would write her note and stick it in there. And I said, well, that's as good a use for it as I can think. Just one more word about your dad and, and Dr. Graham. They they were they loved each other, but they could they could get get on the outs with one another sometimes, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the time Daddy left Uncle Billy in Georgia at the gas station. He was sick, and Daddy was trying so hard to get him home and uh, not be loud, and he had to stop and get gas. And so Daddy very quietly got out and pumped the gas and went in to pay. Billy was in the back, back seat asleep. The back on the back seat, and he had a high fever. He was very ill with flu or something. Daddy was just trying to get them home. Anyway, he before he got out of the car, he looked back and he said, "Bless his heart, he's sleeping. Uh, I don't want to wake him up, and he must really need it." And so Daddy went in to pay, and he came back out, and he didn't look in the back. He eased in and quietly shut the door and took off. And after an hour or so, he um, uh, that was in Jefferson, Georgia, or Brazelton, that area. I think it was Jefferson. And 
I think he got to Greenville and looked back and said, man, I know you must need to stop. And there was nobody on the back seat. And the scary thing is they had had a lot of threats against his life and the Grams had changed their phone number. And it was in Uncle Billy's wallet in the car. So he didn't even know how to call home. And it was before the days of cell phones. They had these uh, walkie-talkie things in the car, uh, Motorola things. But CBs. Yeah, I guess you know more than I do about that. But anyway, Daddy called Aunt Ruth and said, Ruth, um, do you, have you heard from Billy? And she said, no. Why? He said, well, uh, he he's not home. And she said, no, T, quit teasing. What are you talking about? And he told her that he had lost Uncle Billy in Georgia. <laughs> and they were very worried. He was afraid that somebody had snatched him out of the car. But anyway, turned out, Uncle Billy woke up while Daddy was in pain, and he went to the restroom without telling Daddy. And Daddy got in and was quiet and trying not to disturb him, and he drove off. So anyway, Uncle Billy had no money, and he convinced a truck driver to take him to the Holiday Inn in Greenville, South Carolina. He said, the manager there knows me. I know he'll pay you, and I will reimburse him, and I can get home from there. But the whole time they were driving up the road, Uncle Billy thought, well, T.W.'s going to realize I'm not in the car, and he's going to retrace his steps. So he kept looking at every oncoming vehicle, and he'd, he'd look, and the truck driver decided that he was running from the law and he he just looked suspicious well they got to the motel and sure enough the manager was there and he came out paid the man and somehow they connected with the highway patrol and they relayed him one patrolman would go to his end of his jurisdiction and they'd put him in a car with another one until he got all the way home to Montreat. And when he got there, he didn't say anything to Daddy. He walked right by him. And uh, he was a little upset. And Daddy had nearly had a heart attack. He, he just envisioned every imagination he could. But later, they were at a Baptist World Alliance, I believe it was, and there was a delegation from Russia or Soviet Union, and they came, They were in the press, press conference and said, uh, Mr. Graham, what became of the man who left you in Georgia? Uh, what became of him, and surely he doesn't work with you anymore. And Uncle Billy said, T.W., you want to answer that? 
<laughs> he said, I guess in Russia you'd be in Siberia by now. But anyway. So here's another thing that people may not know about Dr. Graham. He was engaged, and then his heart was broken. And later, when something similar happened to you, tell us how, how he helped you and a little bit about that story. Yes. Um, it really um, affected the rest of his life because he was very much in love. And she told him he wouldn't amount to anything. And uh, But they remained friends, the two couples, through the years. And uh, so when that happened to me, um, he and Daddy flew in and were in a rental car going up the mountain. You had to pass our house to get up to theirs. And I thought it was Daddy coming in the den door. And I was just sort of in a state of shock and deep despair and more humiliation because it was a month before the wedding. And he walked in, Uncle Billy. He didn't say a word. He just hugged me. And he said, it happened to me and I lived and you will too. I love you, and I know what you're going through. And he went on and got back in the car, and they went on up the mountain. But he was very uh, tender uh, and very um, kind and empathetic with anybody who had a heartbreak. So let's end with this story. Um, you were you uh, you eventually became. Uh, work for the for the Billy Graham Association in the Montreat office, and there were you had devotions uh, together as a staff, and sometimes Dr. Graham would come down for those devotions, and there was a uh, a Charlotte newspaper, the Observer, I guess the Charlotte Observer, that uh, began conducting a vendetta against Dr. Graham, and he invited the staff and reporters from that paper to Montreat to have devotions on the day when you happened to be the one assigned to lead them. I may have that wrong, so why don't you take up the story from here? Well, he invited, he agreed to meet with them at the office, and I don't think they knew they were walking into staff devotions, and I tried to get him. I said, listen, <laughs> uh, please, you you do devotions today. He said, nope, it's your day, Sally. We're going to carry on as usual. And so I was leading in prayer, and I was uh, we had moved out to the lobby instead of his office because it was a little bigger. And I was aware of rustling and chairs scraping and feet moving, and I peeked and <laughs> as I prayed and these people I didn't recognize were there, and they were from the Charlotte Observer. And I felt, I just prayed, and I I led in a devotional um, that I felt the Lord let me have. 
and uh, I ended it. Uh, I know you don't want to hear that, but anyway, um, I I thought that spoke of his humility to let them see our staff as we were every day. We used to meet every day. Then it became once a week as we grew bigger. But his greatest prayer during that time when he was under attack, he told the staff, he said, I want you to promise me you will pray that I will never be guilty of what they're accusing me of. And that's that was his heart's desire. Um, he didn't want to bring any shame on the Lord. And the person I saw at the office and in their home and in my home was the same man who preached his heart out at the Crusades. And um, he he would tell us also that he was God's second choice. We haven't discussed this. But the man that should have been the worldwide uh, well-known evangelist abdicated because he decided he didn't believe all this after all. His initials were carved in the wall of the guest room up at the Graham's house. Aunt Ruth had this idea that she wouldn't use a guest book. She had daddy he was the first one to spend the night up there and he carved his name on the wall and this man did too and yet he became more impressed with himself than he was God's calling and he made fun of Uncle Billy he said you can't believe this simple gospel anymore and Uncle Billy went out was it at Forest Home in California he went out in the woods and staked his faith there in the woods and he said Lord I don't understand it all I don't have answers to everybody's Bible questions but I know you love me and you sent Jesus to die on the cross, and you rose from the dead to guarantee eternal life for me and for anybody else who will receive you. And he, by faith, said, I will, Lord. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll preach as long as I have breath. And he was the same man that I knew in Montreat, and uh, in his home, he he was just an, he would say, an ordinary person with an extraordinary Savior. But we all know that God gifted him with unusual, um, a, a winsomeness and, and, um, the ability to communicate the simple gospel so people of any level of intelligence could 
understand it. Well, thank you, Sally. On the way uh, up here to to, um, Montreat, where you live, uh, to Black Mountain, we listened to one of Dr. Graham's sermons from Korea. And, you know, no one can will ever know how much he, he and Ruth influenced my life, even though I knew them only in the most superficial passing ways and from a great distance. But you have such a legacy and such memories. You've shared it with me. I think this will be a great blessing to people as they listen to this. And uh, we're here in your home surrounded by, I see, I look up there and I see the beautiful painting that Dr. and Mrs. Graham gave you when when you later were married. Uh, it's just gorgeous. And, and um, I've got some of my grandkids here with me. I'm so thrilled that they were able to hear these stories and that all of us listening have been as well. Thank you so very, very much. And I would encourage everybody to read Dr. Graham's memoir, Just As I Am, and uh, praise God for what he did through that man, this couple, through your father, who I met on one occasion, T.W. Wilson. I was too overawed to uh, talk to him a great deal. He was a great man. And uh, so thank you for these memories and for this time uh, that we've had with you. Uncle Billy would get upset with any of us who called him the boss. He said, no, we're in this together. We're on the same team. We are co-workers, co-laborers in the gospel. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Sally. And for all of you for listening, and may God be with you until we meet again.